Just a reminder before we start, please subscribe and review our show on Apple Podcasts. It helps new listeners discover the show, and frankly, it kind of makes us feel good. All right, here's the show. Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Rick, you're coming to us from Pittsburgh. You're out there for the special election in Pennsylvania. What is it, 18? I am here in Washington, D.C. with what we call an emergency podcast. This is our first emergency podcast in at least a couple of weeks, and it is a big one. We have Rexit. Rexit has finally happened on the day of this monumental uh, race out there in Pennsylvania that you're covering, and the president is out there picking out his, uh, his wall prototype uh, outside of San Diego. This is a big day. Yeah, the way, what a way to drop this this little bomb uh, fired on Twitter, the end of the era, the, the confusion over whether he actually is secretary of state of state or not. And and all of these all of the issues around the, the timing of this, it is so curious and it's so Trumpian in its own way that we shouldn't be surprised. But you have to be shocked by the fact that a secretary of state was just dismissed like this uh, when you've got increasing tensions with Russia, when you have the, uh, the, the talks with North Korea potentially coming up, this whole range of, of enormous issues, the president wanting his own team and, and I suppose getting it or at least getting rid of a guy who didn't feel like was on it. All right, so we have we have all that to discuss. We're going to be joined in just a moment by Josh Lederman, one of the best reporters uh, in Washington, somebody who has covered the White House beat covered the State Department and was actually on the plane with Tillerson when he arrived back here at 4 o'clock in the morning uh, and uh, seemed to be as surprised as as all of us were with this news. But, you know, I, I got to – can we just – let's just take a step back because there was also something else that happened this morning and we're probably not going to have much time to talk about it. Maybe we'll ask Josh about this too. But John McEntee was abruptly fired. Now, you may ask, who is John McEntee? But, Rick, you know who John McEntee is. John McEntee is the president's body guy. He's the person. He is the assistant that is there with him wherever he goes. John McEntee uh, is one of the absolute last remaining members of the original campaign team. He was there at the beginning of the of the Trump campaign. And he, we learned today, just as the Tillerson news was breaking, was, uh, was told yesterday that he needed to leave immediately. It was escorted out of the White House grounds and um, not allowed to go and pack up his desk or to get his jacket, according to the Wall Street Journal. Anyway, there was that. We don't really know what's going on there. All we know is that within minutes of that news breaking, it was announced that he was going to work at the Trump campaign. So escorted out by the Secret Service and landing a job um, at at the Trump campaign. It's been a strange week, and it's only Tuesday. That's why we have an emergency podcast. It, it all makes perfect sense, John, when you think about it. The president is in the middle of all this chaos once again. And someone said to me immediately after this, this happened, well, he's trying, to, he's trying to distract from Pennsylvania 18 with the Secretary of State thing. Maybe that or maybe Stormy Daniels or something with – I mean this was the Gary deadline Cohen for or, Stormy Daniels. I mean what the right, heck? But, it could be anything. I mean, it could be literally anything because that is the style here. Uh, but it just seems like the stakes get bigger when you start talking about secretaries of state. I mean, this is this is another level. I think we're going to unpack what it means with the McEntee move. It is strange to, to land that job with the campaign right away. But uh, this is not your typical uh, movement. A secretary of state, one of the most powerful positions in the, in the entirety of government. And a guy now that we, did, we think didn't even see it coming. 
Okay, so we've got Josh Lederman. I'm told he is on the line. Josh, are you with us? I'm with you. Thank you for being here. You, you know, Josh, I know you're jet lagged. You were in Africa with the Secretary of State. It was a bear of a trip. And you got here at four in the morning. Now tell us, and, and just between us, did, did you have any idea this was coming? You were, you were with the man. I feel a little silly to say it, but I'll be totally honest. We had no idea. I mean, obviously, we and everyone else in Washington, or who's read the news for that matter, knew that this was going to probably happen eventually. It was not exactly a well-kept secret in Washington that Trump and Tillerson were on the outs, that there had been White House plans to try to get rid of him, to even replace him with uh, Pompeo, but the fact that this was imminent, that he was going to step off his airplane after jetting across Africa on Trump's behalf for a week and within four hours uh, be fired by a tweet was something that we had no sense of. And there were no indications from his behavior, from that of his staff or other folks who were traveling with him, that there was a bombshell about to drop. Okay, so I've done some research here um, and I've looked back in the history of the Department of State. And as you remember, Thomas Jefferson was our first Secretary of State. I believe that Rex Tillerson is the first Secretary of State ever to be fired via tweet. Can you confirm that? <laughs> if he indeed fired by tweet, we can certainly confirm that he's the first. But, you know, the fascinating thing about the way the last six or seven hours has played out is the fact that the White House and the State Department are now in essentially open revolt over who exactly fired him when, whether he was notified, whether the secretary himself learned about this from Twitter, or whether they followed what would seem like normal, appropriate, you know, responsible procedures by giving him a heads up prior to it becoming public that he was indeed going to need to step aside. So to be clear, as of as of right now, we don't know whether Rex Tillerson knew this was coming or whether he actually learned of his firing at that moment. Because to my mind, you looking back at the last couple of days, his statement about uh, about Russia and its in its apparent involvement in in uh, in killing people on UK soil, uh, suspected spies, takes on a little bit of a different light in in view of where the White House stood. But but as of now, we're not clear. You're not clear. That, that Tillerson knew he was gone when he said what he did about Russia in his most recent comments. Well, you're right, and folks are starting to try to give a second look to a lot of things that have happened in the last few days. I've been racking my brain, you know, was there some sign, some grimace on his face that should have teed me off in the last few days that he knew this was coming? And there really wasn't. Uh, now, I think it's clear that he knew something was amiss. We do know that he spoke to John Kelly, the White House chief of staff, uh, on it. it was basically Saturday early in the morning, like 2.30 in the morning when we were in uh, Africa, more like uh, afternoon, evening here in Washington. And really what's disputed is whether Kelly said, look, you're out this is happening, or whether it was a little bit more vague than that, you know, you should be aware the president may tweet something that'll be concerning to you. I don't know exactly when it's going to be. Uh, the, the State Department, you know, the Undersecretary of State, Steve Goldstein, came out today and said the president did not, uh, the, did not talk about this with Tillerson himself, that the secretary learned about this today, uh, and that, you know, there, there hadn't been that information from John Kelly. And then Goldstein was fired, like two hours after he said that. So the White House clearly does not want this to look like it was handled in an uh, inappropriate or offensive way. Uh, but there are probably two people in the world who know exactly how this played out, and those are Secretary Tillerson and President Trump. 
What does this mean for policy to your mind? Uh, the president was clear he wanted to make sure that he had his team in place before the potential North Korea meeting, before some other things. But it's not clear what confirmation is going to look like for his choice of Mike Pompeo for secretary of state. There could be issues about filling Pompeo's job as well. Uh, and does this, t- does this assure the president uh, of getting a State Department that is going to be more compliant with his wishes? There are a whole lot of diplomats that are either loyal to Tillerson or loyal to anything or anyone other than Donald Trump. I think that's a very good point. We don't know exactly how this will affect policy, but we anticipate that the biggest change will actually be to Iran policy. That's where you really see the biggest gulf between the general approach of Tillerson and the general approach of Pompeo. The current CIA director has been a real opponent of Iran, wants to basically cut up the whole deal, whereas Tillerson has also been critical of Iran, but has advocated for keeping in that deal, trying to improve it, strengthen it, maybe create some add-ons to it, but has said that walking away from it entirely would not be helpful for national security. So now Tillerson's top diplomat is going to be someone who really wants to bring the hammer on Iran in a much more aggressive way. And, and uh, you know, we'll have to see how that plays out as Trump approaches this May deadline about whether he's going to withdraw from that deal or not. But back to this, when did he know... And what did he know exactly? We, we got two distinct stories. Uh, I was at the White House this morning um, preparing to go out to the South Lawn for the president's departure to California when this news broke and we saw the presidential tweet. And what we were told over there was that John Kelly had called Tillerson on Friday and told him, informed him that he was, that he was going to be fired. And then the story that we heard coming out of the State Department was that Kelly called Tillerson on Friday. So that's the same. Um, and by the way, maybe there's a third person in all of this that knows besides Tillerson and, and Trump. Maybe John Kelly knows exactly what went right. down. Um, but the, the, the story out of the State Department was simply that he was told that, you know, kind of something, you know, that, that, that he was basically on thin ice, right? I mean, isn't that essentially what, what the message was out of the State Department? Not that you're about to be fired, but that, you know, the president's, uh, you know, moving towards a decision. Isn't right. that your understanding? It, I mean, what, what exactly yeah. was the message over there? Because it was well, clear from the White House, we were told that Kelly told him, Friday, you're going to be fired. Right. It really, there are maybe half a dozen versions of this that are floating around right now, and not people speculating, people who should have some direct knowledge of this, who are telling reporters conflicting things. So I'm hesitant to side with any of them, especially in an administration where people are known to be a little loose with the truth when they're trying to uh, push one uh, narrative or the other. Some folks have said that, you know, that Kelly didn't really say exactly what was going to happen, just that something was coming. Others are saying that he told Tillerson, look, the president has decided he's moving in a different direction. You would be wise to step aside sooner rather than later. And that when Tillerson didn't do that, the president said, all right, fine, you're gone. We've also heard from other White House officials that uh, essentially the, the, the president said, look, uh, through John Kelly said, you're done, we're going to get rid of you. And Tillerson said, all right, at least let me return to Washington before you make this public, and that the White House agreed to do that, and that therefore upon his return today, just within a few hours, they made that official. And I have to say that the the timing here is not, I mean, it's important in in several sense, but one thing that fascinates me about this is that we had an extraordinary 
really strong statement come out from the State Department, statement from Tillerson, late yesterday on, as you mentioned, on this issue of the of the poisonings in the United Kingdom. And then actually shortly before that official statement was out, you had a chance, you and the other traveling uh, State Department press had a chance for, for a little bit of interaction with Tillerson. And he said some things about Russia that were, to, to my mind, and you can correct me, uh, but were some of the toughest statements that we have heard on Russia, uh, period. Let me just, let me just read uh, uh, one of these. Um, he says, um, I've become extremely concerned about Russia. We spent most of last year investing in a lot of attempts to work together, and quite frankly, after a year, we didn't get very far. Instead, we've gotten as a pivot on their part to being far more aggressive. And then he follows up with the written statement saying, from Ukraine to Syria and now UK, Russia continues to be an irresponsible force of instability in the world, acting without, with open disregard for the sovereignty of other states. That is tough, tough language from the Secretary of State on Russia on an issue where the White House, even after the Brits came out and pointed the finger at Russia, the White House... In the in the White House briefing yesterday was nowhere near as tough. wouldn't Wouldn't point the finger at Russia. It said, "Well, we'll you know we're waiting to see what it is." I mean, very very milk toast, uh, and, and no direct criticism of Russia. So, my question to you is, you know, it's one thing if Tillerson knows I'm about to get fired, I'm coming out and I'm saying, you know, and I'm going to go out like this, or was he kind of? on thin ice, and he says this, and did this provoke a, a, a more quick uh, a firing of Tillerson? I mean, what's, what's your read on that? My read, I think it's more the first. I don't think that the Russia comments led to him uh, being pushed over the edge, so to speak. There's so much that has to go into uh, an announcement like this, even one that like today's was not particularly uh, well orchestrated, uh, that you would have to think the ball was already rolling. I get the sense more that Tillerson knew, if he didn't know concretely that he was about to be gone, that, that it was happening sooner or later, and that he wanted to say something about this. And I'll tell you a little bit about how this played out, because it was pretty fascinating. You know, Tillerson rarely, rarely comes back and talks on the record to his press corps in the kind of, you know, uh, casual setting on the plane. He did that. They said they'd take about 10 minutes of questions that he wanted to talk about Africa. We asked him about that. Uh, and then we asked him about the, what was going on with this crazy uh, spy case in England, thinking that he would probably demur. He'd probably say something like, you know, well, we're still gathering the evidence and I don't want to get ahead of the, you know, investigation or something uh, not very colorful. And instead, he just unloaded on Russia. I mean, he, he first he went off to draw this attribution for the the ex-spies poisoning, saying it clearly came from Russia. And then he, he expanded on that to go after Russia much more broadly, as you were just reading some of the quotes from him. And, you know, he, he seemed not like he was avoiding the topic, but like one he wanted to lean into. And I think that, you know, a lot of folks now are saying, you know, that that must have been something he wanted to get off his chest while he still had an opportunity to do so. I'm curious about Rex Tillerson, the man, and you observed him at close range for a period of more than a year now. But this is a guy, not to not to put too fine a point on it, there's a lot of political appointees, even cabinet secretaries, who are essentially political hacks. They come through the ranks of politics. 
Rex Tillerson is one of the more substantial men that you can imagine. The guy ran ExxonMobil. He was president nationally of the Boy Scouts uh, of America. He came with the highest credentials of someone in the business world. He was dealing with Vladimir Putin man-to-man on the business level. For him to come into this job and then 14 months later be summarily dismissed by the, by the president, how does he cope with that? How does Rex Tillerson get up the next day and move on. Do you have a sense of how he has internalized all of this tumult that's now resulted in the end of his job? I think that throughout Tillerson's tenure, the one characteristic that to me has helped as a useful prism to understand the way he operates is the Boy Scouts. This guy is a Boy Scout, and he sees what he has been doing over the last year as his service to the country. You know, he had an interesting Q&A last week before he left for Africa as he gave a speech at George Mason where he was asked about sort of why he took the job, and he basically said, look, I didn't serve in the military, uh, and that this is his the way he is serving his country. And I think that even as he suffered all of the humiliations of, you know, it being circulated around Washington that they were trying to replace him and the comments about him calling the president a moron, he woke up every day and did his job thinking, this is the way that, you know, for better or worse, I am serving our nation. And I think that's probably what he's keeping in mind today, although you look at the comments he made in the briefing room just about an hour ago, listing his accomplishments, there weren't a lot of them. He said, we kind of made some progress with Russia on some ceasefire stuff. We made some progress on pushing North Korea with some economic pressure. Uh, And he very curiously mentioned the Afghanistan situation and the Taliban, which does not really seem to be going in a direction that's particularly uh, hopeful for the U.S., so I'm not really sure why he brought that one up. But there are not a lot of notches on his belt for him to be able to say, you know, it was a tough year, but I did it, and I'm walking away with, you know, all of these victories that, that I can take credit for. Well, in fact, I think that if you look at his tenure, for roughly half the time he was Secretary of State, uh, there was speculation on the so-called Rexit. The president was 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 so unhappy with him that, that we felt that he could be fired at any time. Uh, and he uh, certainly had virtually no relationship with the press corps that covers him. I mean, I had never seen a secretary of state come into office and suddenly announce that, uh, that, that he was going to travel around the world alone, essentially, without, without the traveling State Department press corps. Eventually, you know, he, he ended up bringing a, a much smaller contingent than any of his predecessors. Uh, he had not much of a relationship with anybody on Capitol Hill. And from my observation, as a somebody who used to cover the State Department, still uh, uh, keep, keeps in touch with 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 uh, with a lot in that world, um, he had not much of a constituency within the career diplomatic uh, corps. Uh, he, he was uh, not he, he hadn't really cultivated those relationships either. I like your take, and then we'll we'll let you go because I know you got a file on this now. But um, it seems to me. You can make a case this may have been the least fact- effective Secretary of State that we have had, um, despite all the credentials that he brought into this job, as Rick mentioned, a unique, different credentials, but maybe the least effective uh, Secretary of State we had since, what, Bill Rogers? 
Right. I mean, be, as far as being a cheerleader for American values and, and principles and, and sort of going around the world and being a, a public figure engaging with uh, community groups and with lawmakers in Congress on the national security issues of the day, Tillerson just did not have any interest whatsoever in doing that and did not think that that was part of his job. And that is really what distinguishes him from every recent Secretary of State that you can think of. He didn't feel like there was any benefit to what he was trying to do for him to go around and make a bunch of public statements and bring a bunch of press with him. He thought it actually made it harder for him to sit in a room the way he did when he was the CEO of ExxonMobil uh, with a powerful person, a CEO or a, a head of state or a, or a foreign minister, and get some work done in a climate where the other person knew that they would enjoy his trust and could sort of work it out man to man without it being then played out in the press. Now, that was his theory on this. And uh, almost everyone in the State Department felt that was not a particularly good way to approach being a diplomat, given that as a diplomat, all you have are your words. But he was determined to do it. And what's so interesting about today is all of those critiques of how he approached his job and his role from all of our reporting, had nothing to do with why Trump No, fired nothing him. at all. Yeah. Trump did not fire him because he wanted him to go out and be like John Kerry. Trump fired him from everything, all the indications we have, because he tried to push Trump to do things he didn't want to do. He tried to push him to stay in the Iran deal. He tried to push him to stay in the climate change agreement. And uh, that was not something that Trump wanted. And as he said, he and uh, Tillerson just didn't see eye to eye. Well, fascinating day at the State Department, fascinating day at the White House. Josh Lederman uh, with the Associated Press and one of the best reporters in town uh, on the plane with Tillerson on the trip when he got whatever news he got Friday. Uh, Thank you for uh, joining us on Powerhouse Politics. Thanks for having me. Good day to join you. Right. Appreciate it. So, uh, Rick, the, the, the larger question here is the, the pattern. We now, in the last two weeks, have had three major major departures from the Trump team. Hope Hicks, his closest aide, Gary Cohn, his chief economic advisor, now his secretary of state. You get the sense, and and you've also had over the course of that same period of time, some of the most um, tumultuous decision-making that we have seen and surprising quick turns on major, major issues. First, on the tariffs and how that all went down, on obviously the decision to negotiate directly with Kim Jong-un. It seems to me that we are in a different phase right now. I know the entire Trump presidency to a degree has been characterized by chaos and staff turmoil and departures, but this feels, I hate to say it, it feels different. This is a wild new chapter of the of, of the Trump presidency. I, I thought it was really telling, John, what the president said shortly after the tweets go out and Rex Tillerson is fired, shortly before he went to California. He said, we're getting very close to having the cabinet and other things that I want. Yes. Now, the president has been president for – it's his cabinet. Yeah, who, who, who chose that cabinet? That, uh, that he, but you can't blame – I guess some of them were named while Obama was president, if you want to take 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 blame in that direction. It's his cabinet. So if the fact that he is now saying, I'm finally getting close to having what I want, that suggests that we're not done and also suggests that this president is shaking things up very much on purpose. So it, it, it gives you the sense directly that we may see another cabinet change. 
sessions? You, that would have to that would have to be the the conclusion. I, you could look at the VA where there's been big issues. You could look at Betsy DeVos after a 60 minutes performance. But look, this cabinet is populated with lots of people that have been in the news for the wrong reasons. But yep. I thought it was interesting also what Josh was saying. The wrong reasons to Trump are not the wrong reasons to other people. Uh, and the wrong reasons to Trump could just be not being on the same page, not being on the same team, not being loyal to him, doing your job in a, in a different way. That's really striking. And I think that when you look at this now and you realize that, that Rex Tillerson loses his job potentially because he had some differences of opinion with the White House on Iran or on Russia or on North Korea, which he was blindsided by, that suggests this president is taking much more firm control of his own presidency. Uh, and, and man, I just keep thinking back. We talked about this last week with Steve Bannon smiling somewhere off stage. He's getting that stronger uh, anti-globalist, if you will, presidency that he always wanted. So, uh, Rick, uh, we have to end it there. But before we do, of course, I need to get two quick predictions from you. First, who's going to win in Pennsylvania 18? That's an interesting question, John. Do you have a theory on that? Did you want to go first? I, 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 just, you... I just asked you a question. If you want to answer it, go ahead. Uh, Connor Lamb is going to win the race. That's, that's where all the energy Lamb. and the attention now, is. I have it on authority that you told people downstairs in our newsroom that Rick Saccone was going to win. That's true. I did say that. I, 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 that's very true. <laughs> okay. Well, I we, said, we have you on tape saying Connor Lamb now. Okay. That, that's what we're going to go Rick with. Rick Saccone is going to win, as I, as I said. <laughs> you know, I, I have been thoroughly embarrassed by predictions on this show, and I resent that uh, the, the implications that are brought around that, John. I don't appreciate the way that you use your position of authority you are the to, political to, director. to knock I'm me just, around I'm like just, this. Look, I, I just you report know, the news. The man. voters you're, you're will the decide. Political director. I, the you're, voters, you're a big the shot here at ABC decide. News. I will tell you. I will tell you this. This district right now is the center of the political universe for very good reasons. There's no way in the world this should be on the map. The fact that we're even talking about this candidacy and this campaign at this time is a win for Democrats, and they are thrilled with it. I am also seeing a lot of Republicans dump all over Rick Saccone uh, as their candidate. So we'll see how, how they react to that if Saccone is the victor. And we'll, we'll be back with more. And I, I'm actually excited tomorrow um, when we come back on Wednesday, we're going to be talking to uh, – uh, Ed Rendell, former governor of Pennsylvania, knows a lot about that's Pennsylvania big. politics. That's big. He's from the other side of the state. But that's big. And, and he allowed. He said he was going on regardless of who won. So whether it's a good interview or a bad interview for him, we'll have him either way. All right. All right. That's a good tease. Rick's good at this stuff. Hey, uh, thank you very much for joining this emergency podcast uh, here on Powerhouse Politics. David Rind, Avery Miller, Angie Yak, our entire Powerhouse Politics team. Thank you for listening. We will be back soon. <laughs> 